sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It is so glad to be back on my bloody podcast episode number 22 a very very special and unique episode here on my bloody podcast you can find my bloody podcast on itunes and stitcher radio from the multimedia men network just type in multimedia men you'll find it you'll see preston you'll see myself sometimes you'll see cole it's so much fun but yes i'm brian kluger And I'm joined by the man of the hour, the minute, the second, the year, Preston Barta in all of his bloody glory. How are you, sir? I'm doing quite well. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm not so bad. Uh, Had a very fun weekend with you. Uh, So usually on this bloody podcast, uh, we have like news and we give bloody recommendations to cool films. We have a main event horror film. We have bloody questions. Uh, We're doing a little something different today because Preston and I, since last Thursday, uh, were on location in Austin, Austin, Texas at a film festival known as Fantastic Fest, a genre film festival full of horror, action, sci-fi, comedy. Uh, we had a good time. Preston and I uh, uh, did it up well, and we have so much to talk about about Fantastic Fest, all the movies we saw, people we talked to, uh, beers we drank, food we ate, jokes we told people we met. It is so much fun. Um, But yeah, our main event today, uh, we're still going to do a main event today, which we saw at Fantastic Fest, a premiere uh, in the U.S. We saw the upcoming new Halloween film, Uh, so we'll be talking about that a little later, but of course um, we've got to talk about all the fun stuff we did. Preston, did you have a good time at Fantastic Fest? Uh, I certainly did. I think I did a pretty good job this year of not consuming so many movies that I was overwhelmed, but also gave myself some free time to kind of just hang out with friends and write and just go to my favorite spots in and around uh, the theater that we saw it at, which is the Alamo Draft House on South Lamar in Austin. So it was fun to kind of go down to the coffee shop in the D.C. down down the way and uh, select uh, food places when you grow tired of eating the Alamo Draft House food, which is very good. But at a certain point, it's nice to have a departure. Agreed. So, yeah. Agreed. Yeah, we hung out. You, uh, myself, Cole, we all hung out at that Medici coffee spot. I got donuts. I got cookies there. Um, I even up, I even have uh, met uh, a girl there um, who works for one of the outlets I work for, who I never knew worked there, <laughs> which was really interesting. We just kind of like ran to each other, and I was like, "Oh, hey, I'm Brian with High Def Digest." She's like, "High Def Digest," but I guess uh, she seemed she seemed really cool. She was there at the fest covering it for Rue Morgue, I think. Um, but it was cool. You just never know who you're gonna meet there, but. I mm-hmm. believe the the three of us. Well, actually, there was kind of like ten of us. I think from Dallas that yeah. kind of hung around. But you, Cole, and I kind of chilled out. And I know there was a couple days there where it was like, "Where the fuck is Preston?" And Cole's like, "Dude, he is 
hardcore knee deep into writing right now. So you like disappeared yep. a few times and was like a madman working. What was that like? Uh, um, good and bad. Um, just cause I've had, I had to relinquish my ticket for a few films around like the two o'clock block or so, or the first screening of the day around 11. Um, just cause I knew that, I would just be thinking about what I need to put out the entire time and it would damage, hinder the experience of that film anyway. So I, I just took it upon myself to try to get some writing done and uh, feel a little bit better and at ease. And sometimes uh, Cole would go see uh, the film that I relinquished my ticket for and he would come back and say, Hey, yeah, it wasn't that, it wasn't that good. So uh, you didn't miss anything. So <laughs> I was secretly praying that that was, would happen more often uh, than not. But uh, he saw some good stuff that I didn't go see. And then there was a couple of times where, um, because also when you try to go to these film festivals, just because of the way the ticketing system is uh, where, and it's a really great system, um, especially if you're just seeing the movies all in one location, uh, which is, yeah, the Alamo Draft House on Lamar, South Lamar. So you do all your, uh, you sign up for all your screenings the day before, and uh, it's all online. And uh, by the end of that day, uh, you find out what screenings you are uh, signed up for for the following day. So it's just a really easy system, but then there's times where you just uh, you're not in the same theater. If it's a big movie, say Halloween, there's multiple theaters open for it, and you could be in different groups, group numbers, not in the same theater. So if you're in the same theater as another friend, your group A, and then your friend is group B, you you know you bug your friend that's in group A to. Uh, hold you a spot. And so we encountered that quite a few times. And then there was other times we were in different theaters and uh, we're seeing movies, different movies all together. Yeah. It's so a, it's an interesting way they set it up. They set this up like a few years ago from what they previously had it. And I think it works out better as far as like, uh, since it's all in one place, it's easier on traffic. Uh, so it's kind of like, you know, let's say you and like eight friends are going to fly to Vegas, but then you're on in different boarding groups and maybe even on different planes that fly out at the same time. So it's kind of like that. So you just have to kind of yeah. maybe trade or swap if you want to be in the same theater. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it was cool. So, so with that, um, there was a lot of controversy surrounding Fantastic Fest and the Alamo Draft House starting last year and or actually more than a year ago. And this was kind of like the first fantastic fest since all of everything went down um you know with all the sexual harassment claims and the firings and people changing spots uh what do you think the atmosphere this year was um it seemed as though at least like there there wasn't too much discussion of it like i would see tim league uh the Alamo Draft House owner, who has since kind of stepped down from his uh, full responsibilities and has put his full focus into his distribution company, Neon, now. But uh, I've seen, I saw a couple of friends who didn't attend a Fantastic Fest who were out of LA, and they put up posts um, saying that they think it's wrong that Tim League even just shows up there casually. He shouldn't be. 
uh, there at all. But um, it just seemed like a lot of people just, you know, if they if they uh, filled out an application and got there, they just kind of know, like, you know, you come to these you come to this particular festival just to have fun and have a good time. And last year was a little bit more of a different experience. And I didn't know really, really know what to anticipate this year, but it just seemed like everybody was just having a good time watching screenings. And, um, because, uh, it was under new management, new programmers and, uh, moderators and things like that. It just seemed like, uh, it was back to its fun self again. And, uh, but nobody, nobody's going to disregard everything. It's not like everybody's like, all right, well, we moved on now, but you could, you can like sense it. You can sense that it was on people's minds, but it wasn't like out in the open in discussion, or at least not in the discussions that I had with some of the friends that uh, uh, were there with me. Yeah. I felt, I felt like, you know, people, it was like you said on people's minds, but I think people were there just to have fun. And I know Tim league was there, but he kind of like, he wasn't like really, uh, face of the festival like he usually is. He just kind of like hid in the back and then went to go see movies to see if Neon wanted to pick it up and then he would yeah. get out. So I think, I mean, that's part of it, you know, and he, it's he, a lot of people are still hurt about it and, you know, I get that. But I think Fantastic Fest is still fun. I think they've done, you know, what they can right now to address all the issues. And I, I didn't see anything bad going on, so, uh, yeah. so yeah, I uh, I still enjoyed it. I, I had a good time. I think the atmosphere was fun. Uh, they still had things happening, so yeah, I, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. events because i went to opening night party and i went to the overlord party and i must say like they weren't as fun as previous years uh to me at least because i thought the opening night party was going to have a full band and i guess i wasn't there i was there pretty late and there was just like one guy digital djing and Mm -hmm. i ended up leaving and then uh the overlord party was cool in a way. However, they had like this old, like forties Hollywood band, which just didn't make sense <laughs> to me. Um, I didn't, I, I left pretty much after it makes sense one. with the setting of the film, but it doesn't make sense for the, the festival. Correct. 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 Um, so I thought like some of the, um, the party wise stuff i just didn't think was all that good this year but i didn't go to the debates um i didn't i didn't do that uh and i didn't go to the so i just one of the events they did was they took everybody on a bus who wanted to go to the original gas station where texas chainsaw massacre took place and there was barbecue and all that but i didn't go to that either but i heard that was pretty cool um what do you think did you attend any of the parties I didn't attend any of the parties. Um, I think, see, like each new year that I go, and I've been going for five years now, that uh, I, I have a new goal in mind each time. And so that, that'll probably be my goal next year um, is to still kind of chase the movies that I want to go see and then do the interviews I want to do, but also, you know, give myself time to hang out and chill and, uh, and go participate in some of these, uh, partying events because those, those can be fun as, as, uh, easy as it is to, uh, 
just be like, all right, I'm going to go home and try to, or the hotel or wherever you're staying to get some uh, Z's before the next day. It, it, you'll, you'll regret it later knowing that you missed out on something that is as special as that, especially that Texas chainsaw massacre gas station thing. That would have been a lot of fun because, and, uh, you know, it kind of goes along with a lot of the stuff that, uh, Alamo's, uh, rolling Roadshow does. They do like fun events and things like that. And so, and I always have a good time at those. And so I, I think I would have had a good time at that. So I'll try to do something like that next year, but I didn't do that this year. Right. Um, and I have to, I have to have, I have a, a big complaint <laughs> in my okay. own mind. Uh, every year we've gone, you know, we go as press usually and every, every year everybody gets all the press gets a t-shirt from fantastic fest. Yeah. And I don't know if wires got crossed because when we all filled out our stuff, we had to give our yeah. shirt sizes, but mm-hmm. the people who were in charge of giving out, you know, the press badges and swag would not allow press members to get a t-shirt, which was very unfortunate because I usually wear my Fantastic Fest t-shirts even from years ago. Mm-hmm. And something happened somewhere, I have to say, but I just thought that was kind of ridiculous. So did like super fans get it or something? Supposedly super fans got it, but there were like when uh, we all left. Uh, there were still like hundreds of shirts left, and they still wouldn't give them out because we asked. Um, and I just thought like that was super weird. And like, why would you even ask us what our shirt size is? But literally every year, we've been going for five years. We every year get a shirt, and this year we didn't. Um, I know it might seem like a small gripe, but it just I don't know. Somebody was not. It's it's all part of the experience. It's those things that we cherish and love and something as small as a t-shirt uh especially when you can just wear it around uh back in your your hometown and then people being like oh what is fantastic fest that's a conversation piece and it's it just brings back great memories to kind of talk about those things i still wear the first shirt that i got from fantastic fest from five years ago um and i uh, really like that shirt i like the designs and so it's just kind of nice to be like oh yeah that year they went with this theme or whatever it is and um they probably had some sort of budget cut and they just didn't inform people about it um there's a lot of events that i've been to where they do stuff like that where they promise things and then they just uh try to sneak something past you and then hope that you don't question them on it and so I didn't do it that this year, you know, because uh, I recognized that I didn't get the shirt. But they they're like, hey, here's some here's some sunglasses or <laughs> something that's a little bit cheaper uh, to kind of take your mind off of it. But we can still see the shirts over there, so maybe they needed I had tucked it away, but uh, it was still on my mind. So, it yeah. was mine too. It's weird because you say budget cuts. I'm like, they raised the price like fifty percent this year for tickets, <laughs> and I yeah. don't. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. But yeah, I was I was kind of angry about that and upset but oh well um but okay let's move on to movies that we saw uh i believe i saw oh man over 15 movies i think uh including the screening room and in the theater uh mm-hmm. i enjoyed quite a bit of them did you see more than 20 or more than 15 uh i probably saw around 15 i didn't really tally them but um it seemed as though i watched uh probably at least three or four a day including the screen room. So, um, 
So probably in between fifteen or twenty. What are the top three movies you want to discuss today, in your opinion? Of that, what? Because I know we saw different movies. But what three movies yeah. did you really enjoy? Uh, the three movies that I enjoyed the most, um, after for like a best kind of movie for for me, especially after just writing the review for it earlier this morning and kind of going back through all of what happened in the film and uh, taking some time to just kind of stew on it. Uh, Hold the Dark, uh, Jeremy Sonier's, uh, who did Green Room and uh, Macon Blair, who wrote the film. Um, he works with uh, Jer- he's worked with Jeremy a couple times and on Blue um, Ruin and Green Room, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that that'd be one that I would like to discuss. And um, another film that's all from a fun sense, just like pure entertainment, just enjoyment, exciting. You're excited, kind of like jumping out of your seat, kind of excited. Uh, was the Perfection. And that was directed by Richard Shepard, who did uh, one of my favorite movies from a couple of years ago, Dom Hemingway. Another kind of kind of a simple movie, but uh, uh, complex. And this one's even more complex, very complex, but it has a lot of fun with its premise. And then the last one um, is probably the one that I'm still wrestling with, but I enjoyed um, is Suspiria. Uh, one that we've talked about a couple times on the podcast uh, after watching the trailer or new images. Uh, now that movie is in has been my eyeballs and is in my head. So uh, that would also be a fun one to discuss. What about you? Um, so I'm going to go with the other Netflix movie that uh, premiered there that was coming out on Netflix, Apostle by Gareth Evans. Gareth Evans uh, directed... Apostle coming out on Netflix next month, but he also gave us The Raid and The Raid 2. Hardcore violent films. This was a really cool, like, horror, violent, gothic uh, movie. Can't wait to talk about it with our man Dan Stevens. Um, And then another fun one. I went kind of like a real fun slasher film. Homage, wink, wink to all the 80s. In 90s horror movies, slasher movies we've seen. It's called You Might Be the Killer, um, directed by Brett Simmons, who Brett Simmons uh, directed the movie Animal and uh, Husk and uh, a few other really fun ones. The Monkey's Paw, uh, I am a pretty good, it's pretty good. Chilling Visions, Five States of Fear, he did that too. Um, so he's really into the horror genre, but You Might Be the Killer is kind of like takes place at a camp with a bunch of counselors people start dying there's a mass killer this guy uh played by um fran kranz uh calls his best yeah fran kranz calls his best friend uh played by allison hannigan who works at a comic book movie store and she kind of helps him out through uh seeing a bunch of horror movies on what to expect next and how to survive. It's super fun and gory. They did a really good job with it. Um, and then my other one, of course, since you all know that I'm part Greasy Strangler, born into that thing, uh, the director of The Greasy Strangler, Jim Hosking, made another movie which premiered at Fantastic Fest and is called An Evening with Beverly Luff Lynn. Uh, it is not uh, The Greasy Strangler whatsoever. It is a little different. Uh, it's a more of like a romantic comedy, uh, but it stars Aubrey Plaza, Emile Hirsch, Jermaine Clement of Flight of the Concords, Matt Berry, and Craig Robinson. 
it is super funny and awkward and weird and uh i just had a really good time with this movie uh yeah those are the three movies oh i guess i make a runner-up that i really liked was um cam uh c-a-m and it's about cam girls you know you you know you pay girls on the web to strip for you and whatever uh cam was actually really good surprisingly i didn't think it was going to be good at all but it really is captivating uh before we jump into these movies a little bit we have to say uh the worst movie that i've seen at fantastic fest and possibly ever was the new um Nick Cage movie called In Between Mandy. No. no, not Mandy. Mandy's goddamn good. You know it. I know you're just saying you don't like it, but Mandy's good. But Nick Cage has another movie called, I think, Between Worlds or In Between Worlds, and I watched it. Between I actually Worlds. watched yeah. it with quite a bit of people, and it might be the worst movie I've ever seen. It stars the chick from Run, Lola, Run, um, and then Nick Cage, and it, it, it's so Frank, bad. Frank uh, Potente or something like that. I can't remember her name. Yes. Uh, Preston, did you watch this? I watched uh, probably about 30 minutes of it, and uh, it's just because I got busy and couldn't finish it. But it was it, – I don't think it's as bad as you guys or, or I guess you are claiming that it is. I don't think it's the worst movie I've ever seen, but it's not particularly any good. Um <laughs> <laughs> you need but to watch the I, whole I think, thing man we watched the whole thing and it just kept going and it's just like ooh, this is terrible and like nick cage has a mullet in the movie it's really yeah. funny yeah i don't know it just seems like they just kind of just did things in that movie and didn't really uh really consider like consequences or characters actions i mean it's an interesting story in that uh this um the the woman from uh Run Lola Run has the ability to kind of cross over into uh, the world, uh, I guess the in between world. Uh, you know, people that are her daughter is like in a coma, I think, at some at a certain point. And so it's just kind of be kind of like uh, insidious. You know, when they go into the dark world, they're just like it's just like the place before uh, you go to heaven or hell, uh, purgatory or something like that. And so. Um, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, the, the idea is that somebody has to put her on the verge of death. And in this case, it's, uh, Nicholas Cage choking her out. Um, but then there's like, just like a lot of stuff that happens in between, uh, that is not very good or exciting. And so it's just, uh, they, they shit the bed on the premise. And so, uh, I didn't have much interest to continue going forward with it. But if I had to pick uh, the worst movie that I saw at the festival, I, the one that's coming to mind, I think it's the the one, but uh, is Bloodline, uh, one that I actually brought up and was excited about. Wait, you didn't has... like Bloodline? I fucking loved Bloodline. N- no, <laughs> I did it. not. What? The, uh-uh. the blasphemy. Did you? Did we watch the same movie, Bloodline? Like it's the Sean William Scott yeah. Dexter type of movie. Yeah. Did you think about what you were watching? Yes, and I loved it. I, I saw it at midnight, and I oh, because so I, I remember I. you and Cole. Yeah, you, we said together. I love that movie. I thought it was. Uh, I uh, yes, excellent. We. <laughs> I can't believe, I'm sorry you didn't like it. No, I just thought. Uh, that like there's just a lot of things that he did that didn't quite add up to me and um i just i just felt like they could have taken uh, another script pass or two to kind of figure out like what 
who his character really is and it just it just felt you know it just felt familiar it didn't really do anything exciting um there's like decisions a lot of a lot of my beef with it kind of comes from is in the spoilers but um i think it's fine i i still gave it like i'd probably give it like a two and a half out of five or something like that so and and i've liked two and a half out of five movies there it's just not it just didn't really do it for me and so out of all the movies that i i saw or I guess all the movies that I saw weren't necessarily like terrible, but they there was just weak ones and then uh, better ones. So um, it just kind of sat at the bottom of the barrel for me. Well, I am sorry to hear that because I I loved it and <laughs> just loved everything about. It. I loved how like the kills happened. It was different, like the just the way it went down. And I thought Sean William Scott was excellent in it. Uh, oh, we saw different movies. But either way, let's 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 talk about Hold the Dark with uh, yeah. Jeremy Saulnier and Alexander Skarsgård, James Badge Dale, Macon Blair, oh, Jeffrey man. Wright. Yep. Yes, Jeffrey Wright. Oh, man, this yes. movie. So I I had tweeted out that this movie makes you think that you're about to watch like Wolf Jaws, like a wolf version of the movie Jaws. Um, so, like, because basically it's kind of like, you know, somebody's being hunted by an animal, right? Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. So, yeah, in this case, it's it's a it's a mother whose six year old child boy uh, was killed by a pack of wolves. And apparently, like her child is not the only one that's been attacked by these wolves. And so um, this mother reaches out to this wolf expert who's had a run in with a wolf and had to kill it before in the past to kind of help uh, track this wolf down and kill it. So like a revenge story, but then um, it ends up being something entirely different. Um, there's like twists and turns that kind of happen. And they're not like big mate, like Shyamalan type of twist or anything like that. They're just like, uh, I, I compared it to no country for old men, like how in that film, you and I and I illustrate this a little bit better in uh, my review that you can find on the Did Record Chronicle. Um, in my comparisons to No Country for Old Men, so like both films kind of start off with you thinking that it's one thing and ends up being something else. So in No Country for Old Men, it's a guy who finds money and uh, a bad guy that is chasing him, but it ends up asking like bigger questions about the state of humanity. And things like that. And this film does pretty much the exact same thing, except it's like dealing with uh, a, a different setting and different culture. And and it and it gives you a lot to think about. I'm still thinking a lot about uh, like uh, what the ending of the film means, because the ending's kind of comparable to No Country for Old Men, too, because you think like there's just going to be like this big Hollywood style showdown. Um, especially that because this particular film has a really like a damn good shootout scene that happens about uh, midway through the film. And uh, you, you kind of expect that the movie is just going to be just as big with its ending, but it doesn't, it, it kind of just, it's a very bleak film. And, but at least on the surface, like it just seems like it's pretty bare and it's kind of dreary, but then there's a lot of subtext and there's a lot of things that are just kind of, uh, it's very layered and you have to little 
you know, peel it apart like an onion to kind of find uh, how each how each layer kind of makes you feel. And so I took a lot away from this film. It's not like I think that's why I say uh, it's probably the best one that I saw at the festival, but not the most exciting one. That being the perfection, which I'll talk about here in a second. Um, but, um, I think it's going to be one that I'll be wrestling with until the end of the year and, um, not, not quite as exciting. I'm going to keep throwing the word exciting around just cause that's what I'm always kind of chasing at this uh, particular festival. Cause that's what's, I can watch movies like this at like in the morning and then have a good time with it. And even on my own, just, I don't need a big audience to be there. Um, but then there's other films like the perfection or even in years past, like the guest or something that are just so it, it's nice to be in the company of a lot of other people who, uh, are not shy to hoot and holler and, but yeah, hold the dark. It'll be on Netflix, uh, this weekend actually. But if you can see it in a theater, I would strongly urge you to do that um there's only it's only playing like at a few i think alamo draft houses like i know austin's doing it but you know they have an encore screening of hold the dark on for uh for tonight on thursday night um but um if you can go see it in theater same thing with probably what you're going to discuss with the apostle like these netflix movies they look really good and um they give it seems as though they give the directors a lot of uh, creative license to make the movie that they want to make and uh jeremy sonier especially from like green room blue room he makes his movies look good and there's it's just more than capturing like people doing things on screen like there's a lot of meaning behind each shot and the way that he frames things and so and it's nice to kind of just ingest all that when it's on the big screen so yeah hold the dark uh this weekend on netflix you should watch it it is uh i can't wait to show people that movie so much Hold the dark, yeah. It's it's something different than what the trailers show, and it's for the better. But yeah, there is some good violence, like you would expect from like movies like Blue Ruin and uh, Green Room. It's uh, and the performances yeah. are nuanced yeah. and excellent. Yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. It just it just unfolds very organically, like true to life. There's nothing. I, like I, in my review, I kept saying it is not a Hollywood version of life. Like uh, when people die, it's unexpected or uh, when certain characters make decisions, they feel uh, like, OK, yeah, that, that's what they would do. Like, I understand that. And um, and I really like James Badgedale. Uh He's very good in this film. I really identified with his character a lot as a as a, a husband and um, somebody who just has a good moral compass and wants to do what's right. And so, uh, yeah, look out for his performance too. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's good stuff. Um, let's do the other Netflix movie coming out October 12th in a couple weeks on Netflix. It's called apostle directed by mm-hmm. Gareth Evans. Uh, this movie is insane. It scared the shit out of me. It was, uh, super violent and gory, like Gareth Evans movies are, he did something different. It's not like fight choreography type stuff. It's much different. Uh, the film takes place in 1905 and Dan Stevens plays a guy named Thomas who, um, is, uh, his sister is kidnapped by this crazy, mysterious, uh, cult. 
and he travels to this remote island where these people live, and his sister is to uh, acquire her and rescue her. Um, and then once he's there, he just things get even more insane because they there's this. I don't know. I I, I don't want to do spoilers really uh, for this one at least because the movie's not out yet. Uh, but he does find crazy, monstrous, demon-like things in on this island and how Gareth Evans shows it. There's a kind of a slow burn until like the last 20 minutes and then it just gets insane. Um, but what this movie uh, that's premiering on Netflix, it's, it's just kind of like, what would you believe if like, cause Dan Stevens seems like a sane man. And when you, when he gets there, it's like, is this what's really happening? Where is my sister? Uh, but he does an excellent performance cause we all loved him in the guest. We loved him in, uh, Oh, Downton Abbey Legion Legion. Uh, he does not really... beauty and the beast. Yes. Not beauty and the beast. Uh, but nah, he, he's fine. In that movie the movie sucks. Yeah, but it's damn good. And, like, the rest of, like, the cult, uh, as Mark Lewis Jones, Bill Milner, and Michael Sheen, they are just incredible actors in this film. Uh, Some, you know, just stick to the bad side. Some are kind of, like, on the edge of good and bad. But, oh, man, they really did a good job with this film. Like, the cinematography of, like, 1905 on this island is insanely good. Uh... Oh man, I just I just can't say enough good things about this movie. I really really enjoyed it, and I can't wait for people to see it because there's going to be at some points where they're not going to expect what's happening, and then when it all yeah. comes to fruition, because there are like masked people here, there are like demon like things here, but then there's also a very realistic aspect to it. Um, what do you think about this movie, Preston? Um, I respect the craft of it a lot. I think it was probably the best looking film next to like hold the dark that I saw at the festival. Um, especially like the opening shot of the film, they have just like this, uh, flyby shot of going, going up against a train that's passing by such a simple thing. But then there's like other shots in the film. Um, there's like one and there's like a, they show it a little bit in the trailer. I won't, uh, tell you the the details of it but there's a guy that is uh attached to this uh he's like he's attached to this board on like he's uh, strapped to a table but there's like all these little things that are on it especially like one that kind of cocks his head and the camera is like made to show us his perspective and so it's like tightening um, around this guy's head and then as it's tightening it's getting tighter and tighter and, and then it like kind of cracks the skull and the camera like cracks with it and it shows like a little blood spot on the camera so there's just like little things like that that I have not seen in a film before that I just it just kind of blew me away and you felt but, it too when it happened you're just yeah. like oh you made an audible yeah. gasp <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was definitely the director's intention to just kind of make me feel like shit the entire <laughs> time. Um, and so that that may uh, damage people's experiences who may be looking for, for a somewhat uh, like comedy. Like if they're uh, like, there's not going to be a comedy, but like just enjoyable moments in between. And because 
like even if there is like an enjoyable moment, there's like a, a a young guy and a young girl who have a relationship together, and those are like nice little sweet moments. But you but you always have a f- feeling of that there's something dark in the shadows lurking or something lurking in the shadows, and so it 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 is just a, a movie that makes you feel like shit and doesn't stop, and so. Uh, not a super enjoyable film, but it's one that uh, definitely freaked me out. There's a, there's one scene, and I think you and I talked a little bit about it after we saw it, of like something in this underwater tunnel that feels like something from The Descent. Yeah, and that's that's always what's that's a great fear of mine. Just being going through something and just being completely stuck, unable to move with you seeing something at the, at the edge of your feet or at the bottom of your feet. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's good scares, there's good tension and good performances, well shot, well done. Um, but at the end of the day, it still makes you feel terrible. Yeah. It's gloomy, it's dark. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that may uh, divide the audiences a little bit. Uh, Before we move on to our next two movies, um, so with Apostle and Hold the Dark being on Netflix, do you think it's going to lose any of its coolness, its pizzazz, its excitement being on the small screen on Netflix? Or should these definitely be in the theater? Because I do think that people should see these in the theater for the sound alone in both films. Because the scores are both good, the gunshots in most of them, it's just kind of powerful. But I'm curious to see how it plays on Netflix. Yeah, it, it's a it's a tr- tricky thing because both movies I think are completely worthy of watching and should be watched in a large format. However, at the same time, wide audiences are not going to flock to the these both of these films. Like I can just see them come releasing in theaters and then not doing very well at all and then losing money and then that just kind of uh works against the system of um you know, if you don't, if you make, you give the directors creative license that they make these kind of different, unique movies that we'll keep talking about for years to come. But then studios won't want to make them because uh, formulaic stories work and put butts in seats, and uh, that's just not wouldn't wouldn't work for this these types of movies um, unless they just did it super limited and just to see how it would do, like word of mouth, slow rollouts, and things like that. So they're studios are just testing the waters every which way but um yeah if you have to watch it and on netflix uh go over to a friend's house unless you have a really good uh uh, entertainment system to kind of watch it on the biggest screen possible uh go that with really good sound uh do it that way um but yeah, it's just a, it's an unfortunate thing that it's just kind of stuck in this little it's in a pickle, but um, yeah, no, I, I can understand both sides. Yeah, yeah, I mean I'm definitely happy to watch it both on Netflix. I just hope that maybe for like a night it's in theaters, but oh yeah. well. Um, what movie you want to talk about next? Um, I'd like to discuss the Perfection, mm-hmm. um, which I is one it, I didn't see. It played at um, midnight yeah. the first night, and I've heard so many good things about it. And I'm yeah. pissed at myself I didn't see it yet. Yeah, especially uh, since it doesn't have distribution at this time. So it may be year or maybe may next year or who knows when it'll happen. I think it'll it'll be picked up pretty quick. Uh, 
I know the director said during the Q and A uh, that they're for the next couple of weeks they're going to be uh, shopping around just to see who picks it up. And I, I actually even had a discussion with Ryan Turek um, from Blumhouse because uh, he was asking. I saw him at Medici, was talking to him in in line because um, I had interviewed him before. And uh, he asked me what movies I liked, and I brought that film up, and he said he read the script. Um, and I was like, well, you should see the movie. It's really good. Um, so maybe he'll take my advice, and then if it happens, I'll be like, hey. Um, Preston was responsible. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ryan Shepard, uh, I'll give you my address, and you can ship the check my way. <laughs> um so yeah, uh, the perfection, uh, it's kind of like cabin in the woods in that, uh, you can spoil the fun of it so quick because the twist happens, the, the twists that are in the film happen so early on that, um, it, it's just going to be really interesting through in the marketing, how they're going to market this film. Um, and that's, uh, I actually got to, uh, sit in and sit in on a discussion with, uh, Ryan Shepard, who directed, wrote, and co-wrote and uh, directed the film, and Allison Williams, who is in the film. Um, Allison Williams is from uh, Get Out and uh, the TV show Girls. Um, she gives a really good performance in the film. So the, I guess uh, it's safe to say that the film is about two uh, musicians who play the cello, and um, – they're part of this academy of sorts, the school that uh, teaches them to be perfection, to, to how to be uh, perfect at the instrument that they play. And uh, so you can kind of get like a whiplash kind of sense from that. But um, what's on the surface, you know, seems familiar. But from there, it just uh, plays with your expectations the entire time. So everything that you think is going to happen, every time you think it's going to zig, it zags. Um, and it just gets absolutely wild. So, like, the, the only thing that they have out right now at, at this moment is a single image that is just like a safe image. It looked like I literally thought it was a drama. I uh, just kind of disregarded it at first until I uh, was kind of going through checking my uh, schedule again. And then I was like, recognized the talent involved. And I was like, you know, Allison Williams wouldn't do this if it wasn't something good, especially at this point in her career. And same thing with Richard Shepard after I really I, – because I interviewed him before for Dom Hemingway uh, when it played at the Dallas International Film Festival. So I knew that there was something more that uh, is not being shown to me. And, and yes, that is the case. Uh, so, um, was it like jaw-dropping type stuff? Y- Y- yes. Um, yeah, there's there's some shit that happens in this movie. Um, uh, th- there is blood. There is vomit. <laughs> um, all kinds of things. Knives. Um, so, yeah, it's just complete insanity by the end of the film. And I know that's not a whole lot to go on, but I, I hope that, you know, every once in a while somebody is just like, you just need to see this movie. Like, just take just really like a blind watch really just go right into this movie, the perfection. Um, it'll probably be a little bit and not, and if it has a release date, uh, we'll bring it up at some point on the podcast to, to discuss it. And, uh, yeah, keep that one on your radar, the perfection. Hell man. I cannot wait to see this. Oh, I can't wait to see it. All right. Um, 
I'll talk a little bit about An Evening with Beverly Loughlin, the uh, second film of Jim Hosking, who also gave us G is for Grandpa in ABCs of Death. Um, An Evening with Beverly Loughlin is nothing like The Greasy Strangler. Uh, It's more of a romantic comedy with really oddball-type stuff. Uh, So in the film, Aubrey Plaza is married to Emil Hirsch. Uh, Emil Hirsch owns or actually is like a manager of like this coffee donut shop. Um, and he takes it super seriously. He dresses in like an overgrown man suit with high, uh, shoulder pads and Aubrey kind of works there, but kind of like the weird people that work there. And she doesn't really like her husband, Emil Hirsch, but you find out that she had a secret love affair with Beverly Loughlin, who is a guy, um, who does these events, these shows, and you don't know what it is. We just know that it's magical because that's what everybody says. Beverly Loughlin is played by Craig Robinson. Um, But Craig Robinson, Beverly Loughlin, he is coming to a hotel to do a show uh, right near where Aubrey Plaza lives in the film. Uh, And it's just really weird how everything plays out because at some point, Emile Hirsch and his two bumbling friend idiots rob a uh, like a nearby store and the owner of that nearby store that's robbed hires a kind of a hitman, Jermaine Clement, who seems like he's never um, been a hitman before, but he ends up falling in love with Aubrey Plaza and will do anything for her. So the two of them stay at this hotel in hopes to rekindle uh, their affair with Craig Robinson. And in the meantime, all of these weird and awkward and strange moments happen that are just kind of make you cringe to watch, but it's also sweet and innocent in a way. I would have to say this is kind of like a Napoleon Dynamite uh, meets maybe a rated R uh, type of film in all of its awkward and type, same type of music. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really fun. There's nothing like that. It. It's very original. The dialogue's great. The uh, performances might be over the top here and there, but I think that's the style they were going for because it's just too weird. Uh, I really like this film. It's it's endearing. It has a sweet message, a sweet ending. Uh, nothing like Greasy Strangler, even though Greasy Strangler, I think, had heart to it, uh, despite the fact of what it was about. Um, but yeah, it's damn good. And yes, there are sex scenes in this movie. Uh with a few obese people, which is really funny. Um, That's just kind of like the stuff you're in for here. Just, you know, it's sweet to watch, but it's also very awkward to watch. Um, Yeah. Do you want to see this movie, uh, Preston? Uh, Yeah, I I do. I did want to see it, but it was at the same time as, uh, what did I see? I saw uh, Loose in that block. I think we're mispronouncing it when we were first talking about that movie, uh, Luz, a couple of weeks ago. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I did, I, I did want to see it, and, and then, yeah, I heard that you liked it, which, uh, go, go figure, but um, Cole, Cole really liked it, too, and I think Susan kind of liked it, or at least liked it more after the fact. Right, um, right. I think it grew so, on her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's hitting VOD next month in October, so, yeah, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I think you'll like it. It's being distributed by uh, Universal Pictures, so um, mm. we'll see what uh, what they'll do if it's going straight to video or uh, on demand. Or... Yeah, maybe they might do like a 
Alamo, like a few screenings at the Alamo or Texas Theater or something like that out here for us. But, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think it. that, like, compared to, like, what we're talking about with uh, stuff for Netflix that came out of uh, Fantastic Fest, I think this is one that did, I mean, it doesn't seem like it necessarily demands for it to be seen in a, a big screen. But, hey, if it's there, it's good company to watch it with, uh, or I guess it's good to watch it with uh, a lot of people. Right, right. No, yeah, I, I agree. It's good. All right. Um, the third film for each of us, what was yours? Mine was Suspiria. Correct. That was the secret screening this year. Yes, the remake. yes, it was. Yeah, the not so secret screening because everybody knew that it was Suspiria after a certain point, um, especially by the beginning of the day. But uh, yeah, I was really happy that that this is what the secret screening was because um, I I I don't think anything will ever top uh, how excited we were about the surprise of. Uh, split being the secret screening uh, two years ago and then last year, but that could also be just to because of the controversy that happened at the time. I think it was supposed to be Shape of Water and bring Guillermo del Toro in, but they ended up going with uh, The Death of Stalin, which I ended up uh, watching like maybe 10 minutes of and walking out of. I did watch it later and enjoyed it, but it just was just was not what I was feeling. It was the last film of the night or the festival for me. So I ended up leaving after that. And that, that was the same thing here. I'm still watching things in the screening room, but uh, Suspiria was the last movie I watched at uh, fantastic fest. Um, so yeah, this is the 2018 remake of the 1977 film, I believe um, by Dario Argento. Argento. Yes, yes. And, um, and I watched that film not too long ago, a couple of months ago, uh, cause synapse, put out a pretty good copy collector's edition of that. And I watched it and, um, uh, from like, I guess today's perspective of that film, because I think it's important to kind of address, uh, the original before diving into this one. Um, it's a very, uh, it's a gorgeous, visually striking film, but it's all, it's all so, uh, so much of it depends on the mood of the film. Um, I don't think it's necessarily concentrate. It doesn't concentrate too much on story. Uh, this movie, the remake, uh, is just as visually striking. It's not as lush with its colors. It's kind of it's a little more grim, a lot of grays and things like that. But the camera movement's very inventive, and uh, Luca Guadagnino, Guadagnino uh, did it. Uh, he did uh, Call Me by Your Name last year. So a complete different film going from a sweet, tender, bittersweet uh, romance film between two gentlemen and then to do a uh, uh, unnerving film about a coven um, of witches. And so um, this one is very disturbing. Um, I think we got word of that from, I, I think it played at Venice or something like that, another film festival overseas. And... Uh, people talked a, little, a lot about um, certain scenes in the film that were just kind of disgusting. And there are two in particular, and I won't reveal what they are. One happens about midway through the film um, or maybe the first quarter or so. And, uh, the, and then you have the absolutely bonkers uh, ending sequence, which kind of reflects the ending of the, the original film, but uh, taken to the nth degree. Um, 
so it's a it's a very long film. It's like about two and a half hours long. Um, it it offers more story, uh, more characters to kind of feel for uh, compared to the original. Um, but it's just as abstract as the original um, in that it just shows a lot of images. It, uh, some things kind of feel pointless to you. And so it, it'll test your limitations as a viewer. But um, walking away from it, especially all of what happens in the end, at the end of the film, um, it, it makes it a rewarding experience. I, it just feels like those kind of movies that came out in the 70s, uh, mainly the 70s, but a little bit in the 80s, uh, that feel like very weird and like uh, – you know, like The Shining. The Shining uh, – is a little. It seems more mainstream now, just because we talk a lot about it. I could. I could feel that it may be the same case years down the line with this film too. That a lot of film fanatics will celebrate it now, and uh, kind of same thing with like Hereditary. You know, Hereditary is not necessarily like a mainstream horror film at all, and a lot of it is a lot of weird shit happens in both hereditary and Suspiria. Uh, but it's something that we will be thinking about for a long time. So, um, I think it's just important for people to go in who are interested to know that it's not a traditional narrative at all. Um, I think it, like I said, it offers a little bit more to grasp onto than the original, but it's, uh, it's a film that, is for people who appreciate good visuals and movies that just make you feel a certain way more than they uh, entertain you with a particular storyline. So uh, if you, if you know that going in, I think you'll appreciate uh, the wild, wild journey that this film takes you on. And uh, so, yeah, I'm still thinking about it and uh, I love the music, Tom. Um, What's his ah, damn it? What's his last name from uh, Radiohead? Tom York. York, yes. Yeah. Uh, so he did the music for this. So he he uh, sings. So it's not just all uh, just a score. So he provides like the title track and a song here and there in the in between, and then the ending uh, track. And so um, very good score. So yeah, um, I overall enjoyed it. That's good. And so, you know, I'm a fan, I think you are, of the original Suspiria. Now, when it comes time, when this comes out on video, and you want to watch a movie, and you come to Suspiria, which one are you going to do? Um, it's kind of like, um, there's this, uh, I, one of my favorite movies of all time is Vanilla Sky. And then there's the original film, which is Abre los Ojos. And so I always say... With those films, like Abre los Ojos is the acoustic version, while Vanilla Sky is the orchestrated version. And I think that's the same case here with the original being the acoustic and this one being orchestrated. Yeah. I think there's a lot that they kind of fill out here that make it a little more interesting as a film experience. Um so it, if it really feels of the era, like it feels like it came out in 1977 with its costumes because the setting's still the same. Um, 
and uh, the way that it's just it looks because um, it was shot on film and it it just looks like it came from that time and it's not it doesn't have like a, a digital or polished look to it it's not uh, overproduced or anything like that it feels very much like it represents or, or captures the spirit of the original while also building upon it what what a remake should do so um, yeah I, I think you should watch them like hand in hand, double feature it up. But, uh, I think if I had to decide between the two, I would go with the remake. Cool. Cool. I like it. Um, all right. My last film before we get into our main event of the Halloween 2018 sequel, um, you might be the killer directed by Brett Simmons, written by Brett Simmons and Thomas B. Vitale. Um, this film is super fun. It is comedy horror at its finest. They did a really fun job with it, really good job with it. Uh, you're going to have a lot of fun with this movie, especially watching it around the Halloween season, uh, you know, late at night with your friends because it is that fun. And this is one of those movies you kind of want to watch with an audience because there's a lot of really funny moments everybody will laugh at and really gory, fil- gory moments. So mm-hmm. You Might Be the Killer uh, follows... Uh, this guy named Sam, and he is one of the head camp counselors at this camp, and all the camp counselors are there getting ready for all the kids to come in, and then just somebody starts killing everybody. And while everybody's killing everybody, um, Sam calls his best friend Chuck, played by Allison Hannigan, who is in the city working at her job, which is like comic books and movies and stuff like that. And she kind of asked them all these questions like, what's happening? Are you covered in blood? Do you have a weapon? This is what happens. And they, in this movie, this happened. This is how you stay alive. And it's super fun in a way, kind of, they have like a body kill count uh, counter on the screen. And it's super fun. Uh, and, and it kind of goes back uh, and forth timeline wise. Uh, so you can kind of see what happened here and there in kind of like a memento type of way, because at the very beginning you kind of are at almost the end and there's like 12 counselors dead. And then it goes back and the counter goes all the way back down to zero. And you can finally find out who died first, second, and third. And you kind of get a gist of like, who's the killer and what's happening. Uh, but it's super gory. They used a ton of practical effects effects hilarious kills you know such as uh uh, just people being cut like in half vertically uh impalement oh man it's so it's so much fun decapitations it's uh, it's what you want you know and there's like a lot of that you know that movie uh the the behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon Mm-hmm. There's a lot of elements of that in Are You or Are You the Killer? Or not you Are You the Killer, you might be the killer. Uh it's it's a lot of fun. And like the acting is good. It's never like super over the top. It's just kind of it's kind of like realistic in a way. And but funny. Um Yes, You Might Be the Killer is one of those movies you're gonna have a lot of fun with if you like the slasher series and are a big horror movie uh fan. Uh Preston, does this interest you at all? Uh, I saw the film. Oh yeah, you um, did. Yes, right. Yeah, um, I didn't like it as much as you. I think it's it's perfectly fine and enjoyable. Um, I think I I said to you that I think it winks a little too hard at at its audience. Like it's just like, hey, we're clever. Um, 
And I think that and you brought up um, Behind the Mask, which we need to do sometime. Uh, shut up, dog. <laughs> She's, hold on just um, a second. Hold, yeah, you can keep on talking. I'm going to go close the blinds or something there. Um, so Behind the Mask is one of my favorite comedy horror films of all time. And I think that Brian and I need to discuss this at some point on the podcast. But um, for me, uh, it reminded me a lot of this movie that came out a couple of years ago called The Final Girls. And I think it suffered from the same problem where it it leaned a little too much into like the meta stuff without being uh, subtle about it. I felt like when you said that you didn't think that their performances were very over the top. Uh, I think they did it a little bit too hard. Uh, I don't know. So. I, 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 I think they just like kind of like, or, well, I mean, I think the, the organic- whole, I mean, it's hard for you to do that when the whole movie is just like, it's, it's self-aware it's meta and it, it just really depends on those ingredients while behind the mask is also kind of meta, but at the end of the day, it's still a scary film. Same thing with Cabin in the Woods. It's same, it's it addresses the same things, but there's a it's a little more subtle about all those sorts of things. It doesn't need. Uh, I think in theory, like that kill count can be fun for like skits for like YouTube or something like that. But it's, it's not necessarily something that I really wanted from a movie. Uh, I would rather it uh, be balanced in terms of uh, scaring you at times. I think the idea of like a mask, um, uh, I don't want to dip, dip too, too much into spoiler territory, but like the movie, the mask with Jim Carrey, like it, oh. controlling you and making you do things that you, yes, uh, definitely and when you take there. it off, you'd have no idea. So I think that it's a, it's a smart, super smart idea. I just don't think that they, uh, they should have dialed it back a little bit to uh, make it a, a, a more even or well-balanced film for me. All right, all right. It's, I still have fun with it, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's worthy of being in your list. I th- it, it was a fun film. Uh, I want to do like a really fast, rapid round of like things that I saw that uh, I think are deserve, deserve mention. Um, so I saw um, The Guilty... Which is, uh, if you saw that movie, The uh, Lock with Tom Hardy, you know, when he's in a car and having fun conversations, uh, dealing with um, an intense situation, uh, this film is very much uh, cut from the same cloth. Uh, it is a uh, film where a emergency uh, responder, uh, you know, whoever you call, this person that you talk to for 911, um, who's dealing with a kidnapping situation, but the, the twist is that he is a um, former cop that's been kind of demoted. And so he has more of a drive to want and kind of stretch the uh, boundaries of his position. Um, so uh, really enjoyed that film. Very uh, on the edge of your seat. Uh, Cause it's very cool when you can just hear the situation on the other end of the phone and, and you don't see it. The camera stays with him in the room the entire time. So it just kind of is a blank canvas for you to project whatever you're, whatever you see in your head on the screen. 
And so it can make for a really interesting uh, experience, viewing experience. So, yeah, The Guilty. Um, another one I really liked was The Boat. And uh, it's I uh, in my review, I said it's comparable to like uh, A Quiet Place. Um, but I, I mean that, that kind of lightly. And, um, but the both movies uh, just don't really offer too many breaks. It's just tension and grinding, just like cranking it, cranking it, cranking it the entire time. Um, so uh, the movie takes place on a boat. So it's like a lost at sea, trapped at sea kind of movie, but with a horror twist. Uh, there might be something supernatural on, on board the boat, or there might be um, a person who is locked away in a compartment. You don't know. Um, so um, really enjoyed that one. And then there was another film I really liked called Close Enemies, another foreign language film uh, like The Guilty. Um, that's kind of like The Departed. Um, it's a... Uh, or Mystic River, like uh, two friends, childhood friends. One's a cop, one's a criminal, and they encounter a situation. Both both are involved um, for different reasons. Uh, the cop has a rat or an informant on the inside that is not his friend, um, childhood friend, um, that uh, winds up getting killed in a uh, just a quick uh, drive by. And so it, it's him facing, uh, dealing with that guilt of that situation while the criminal character is, has family. He has things to really, cons- he's going to live with that paranoia of, of being in fear that he's going to be killed and, uh, not be there for his family. So I uh, really enjoyed the duality of that. There's a lot of parallelism in the film and I think they handled it quite uh, miraculously so uh close enemies uh so yeah those three films really good 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 yeah i uh i also saw a movie called border which i really loved um it was a slow burn about a couple of people who what seemed to look like werewolf people but they actually were trolls like under the bridge trolls and kind of how they've integrated in society and all their like kind of like super human powers basically uh it was super weird <laughs> um and very sexual in a nature um and some good stuff but yeah it's good it's called border and uh i guess i'm trying to think of what else cam again cam the about cam girls definitely good very supernatural maybe demonic in a way maybe not uh super good i I didn't think I'd like that movie, but I did. Um, and I'm trying to think of what else. Like, yeah, yeah, fuck it. Let's go to the uh, the big overall. Oh, actually, first, before we get to Halloween 2018, uh, Preston and I saw a movie last year at Fantastic Fest called Anna and the Apocalypse. It is finally getting a release date. Anna and the Apocalypse is a zombie horror comedy musical set at Christmas. Uh, Preston, I believe, hated it. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, but it is coming out in theaters uh, later this year, and I guess there is going to be a book version of the movie coming out, uh, which I'm actually excited for. Um, but yeah, I just yeah. had to give that bit of news out there because it is Fantastic Fest style. But on to main event. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I have one more sidebar moment. Okay. Um, so Overlord. Did you see that? I did see Overlord. Yeah. So, yeah, that movie's uh, perfectly fine. Um, I think it's a little safe 
but uh, the war scenes are good. And uh, I did interviews for that film really last minute, uh, but it was it was really interesting experience. And so I thought it might be of interest to uh, those who have no idea how uh, these like big junkets go and never been any a part of anything quite like this. And so go to the junket uh, that was at uh, a hotel in, in downtown Austin. And they have three different rooms set up for you to interview talent. And so they separated them naturally. Uh, um, they get, you got the, the two leads, even though it's like a, a group, uh, Jovan Adepo. And I can't remember the, the girl, the young woman that's in the film, but they're paired together. And then um, the rest of the troops, there's like three guys there, including Wyatt uh, Russell and uh, the director and the villain in the film. And so they've split them up into different rooms. And so you would go from one room to the other and you'd be in a rotation. And uh, the people who were working it uh, had like, uh, headsets on iPads that had uh, that were connected to the video cameras for each uh, station. What? And, and so they they could see who was in the interviews. Um, it was just really intense. Like the way they like carefully calculated. It was very meticulous. And I was just amazed that they did that. So J.J. Abrams pretty much just bought out that entire floor of the hotel for them to have hospitality suites, these different junket rooms, uh, equipment stations. It was just, it was just blew my mind. And, um, and, and, and for them to keep up with your cards, cause you know, they're shot on an SD card and they pass it from place to place. Um, and, and then they got to check it at the end of it. So it's just like, there's just like a lot of things involved. And so I just thought that was just fascinating to no end that uh, more so. Yeah, more so. so than here. That is crazy. I'm glad you got to do the interviews last minute because, yeah. I mean, while I like Overlord, you and I discussed that, you know, we wanted more horror yeah. stuff to it because they kind of showed glimpses of what it could be and they never yeah. went that route. But it's like yeah. World War II Nazi experimentation zombie-esque monster things, but they kind yeah. of rely more on the soldiers which just wasn't fun. Yeah. Which which can be a good thing in theory. I mean, I like when movies that seem like they're going to be huge actually are more reserved. However, with this particular concept, I wanted more craziness, especially when they tease like certain images. Like there's one shot in particular um, where they show like the potential of this going down a reanimator route and it just being completely insane. Um that in the end, when it becomes uh, good guys, good soldiers versus these uh, reanimated corpses or super juiced uh, bad guys, uh, it's just like it, it's like a video game. It's just like a boss fight kind of thing, which is fine. It's an, it's it's enjoyable, but I, w- I wanted something a little bit more. But it's got a really good opening scene, so. Um, I think it's still worthy of checking out. So I think it comes out November 9th. So yeah, Overlord, it's fine. Yeah, there you go. Um, Shall we do Halloween 2018? Yes, we shall. All right. Main event. uh, So Halloween 2018 uh, is a direct sequel of the first film all the way from the 70s. It does star Jamie Lee Curtis reprising her role as Laurie Strode, as well as Nick Castle, part of the Coupe de Villes, um, as Michael Myers. 
and it's directed by our friend David Gordon Green, who is a Texas native, who gave us something like Pineapple Express and Joe. Stronger, yeah. Yes, and then it was written by David Gordon Green and, oddly enough, Danny McBride. Yes, Eastbound and Downs, Danny McBride. Uh, yeah. and, and then somebody else, but I can't remember. Uh, yeah, his name is Jeff Fradley, but um, yeah. but uh, this Halloween film, we were all excited about this because this is kind of like a reboot to the series. And yeah. after watching it and everything, I've got to say, I'm like on the fence. I'm right on the fence because there's good moments to it and there's really bad moments to it. And yeah. I just don't see this, like, I think they wanted to re reignite this passion of Halloween franchise, and it just doesn't do it. I mean, there's good elements to it, but overall, oh, I was actually disappointed in the film. Yeah, uh, me too. Um, I think, uh, well, Cole was on the last podcast and he talked a little bit about it. Um, um, but yeah. I uh, I was pretty disappointed with this. I, I I just like you think there were some really good things that they did. Um, they do for for like the f- the female characters uh, in particular, uh, Laurie Strode's grand granddaughter. Um, instead of like, you know, in these movies, you always see the guy having sex with the girl. In this one, he she pushes against that uh, idea, and so it's very like modern, you know. Uh, it's got some uh, good modern touches to it um, and some nice moments that are, are nods to other films in the franchise. I, I still think that the best moment of the entire film is shown in the trailer or the second trailer. If you can look that up or remember it well enough, uh, that trailer opens with a really long shot of Michael bumping into some kids and then seeing a woman messing something, messing with something in her backyard shed. And he goes back there and the camera just, just follows him. And it just, you hear the buzzes from like uh, fluorescent lights as he's going by just like, and then uh, John Carpenter, who returned to do the score, it's playing underneath, and it just feels like a Halloween movie. Like, that's what it should feel like, scary and kind of mysterious, and you just have no idea what can happen. I could I could literally, as wrong as this sounds, I could literally watch him going from house to house killing people for the entire movie and have a good time with it. And so we get, like, a little taste of it here, and I just don't think the movie ever uh, – meets the rest of the film never meets it on that level. And, um, like even the opening of the film, it's fine. But before, you know, like when you have a horror movie like this, usually something like it really amps up your excitement, uh, before the title of the film comes up, Halloween with the pumpkin and everything. And I just, it just felt kind of, uh, stale to me um when it when that happens and so i was a little worried there like it's just a serviceable just like it feels like just another you there i think i might have lost you for a second oh connection was lost but uh yeah say that again preston what you just said um i guess i'll uh within the last 10 seconds yeah yeah, the the opening was uh, fine, but it just didn't uh, excite me to go, be interested as interested as I wanted to be uh, going forward in the film, and um, 
there's just like a lot of character decisions, mainly from Laurie Strode that I just, uh, didn't really like, especially by the end. Um, she's set up as this kind of like badass warrior on the same level as Sarah Connor, which is going to be like what she's going to be stamped on her, uh, performance here. Um, but that's just how it is. Like she's been waiting for 40 years for him to escape and he escapes because people are idiots. They, uh, decide to transfer him around fucking Halloween. And <laughs> that's just how it goes. Um, and, and so you just kind of have to have to roll with it. And so a lot of the, you know, with a film like this, you just kind of expect to like fix some problems that have happened in the past. But I feel like it just creates a, a lot of the same problems or if more problems. Yes. Um, and I think that's the biggest disappointment overall. Um, but, yeah, what I was hinting at with Laurie Strode's character, like she set up being this badass character. But there's like little things here and there that happen where she's just uh, not on high alert as much as I would think she would be for the past 40 years, just completely anticipating each move um, because the end of the film, uh, as they show in the trailer, like it's just like, uh, like home alone style. Like uh, she's has lights set up. She is prepared. She has trap doors for each room and it just feels like a waste. It just feels like a, a thing that looks cool, but they don't do anything cool with and uh, she just makes dumb decisions like being too close to a door where he can like bust through or um, instead of like shooting at a closet door, um, she opens it. And it's just like a lot of dumb shit like that. Um, that is just like the routine of the franchise. And um, it just didn't live up to what I wanted it to be. I gave it a passing grade. It's fine. It's fun. Um, but it ultimately did not uh, live up to what I wa- truly wanted it to be, to just ignite the franchise in a fun and exciting way. So I think maybe going forward they can do things, but ultimately it just feels like a mix of a lot of things that have come before, like Halloween 4 and uh, yeah, Halloween there's elements. And, yeah. and so it – it just it had the potential to just do something completely different, and I felt like it played it safe. Yeah, I am. Uh, it's. I wanted to like it. There's moments in it where you know Michael is going from house to house, and you kind of see kind of like how he gets in and does his thing, and but then there's also other characters that don't make any sense at all. But some of the kills are really good, but. Like, some of the performances, yeah. like Jamie Lee Curtis, she gives a good performance, but her character and the house she's built around here just doesn't make sense. Judy Greer, who plays Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter, could have been played by anybody. Um, I don't think she did that good of a job. She wore a fucking Christmas sweater at the end of the movie yes. for some reason. Yeah, it was really um, weird. <laughs> and, and that was another thing. There was a lot of, like, moments, just, like, random tangents that the film went on that felt like family guy ish whenever like they just do something for the sake of maybe in fear that they're losing their audience, that they need to just have this like really out there moment. Like there's a moment where uh, we first learn about the crash scene of, of the bus and how Michael escapes that we see in the trailer. And there's like a, uh, a father and son that are uh, 
that stumble across the scene and the kids like talking about wanting to dance. And I, I'm just like, okay. Um, and then there's another scene between two cops when they're talking about a sandwich or something like that. And I, I don't know. I, I, I it's it just a really, I, I called it like a mixed bag of treat, a uh, trick or treats. Um, and, and that's just what it is there. There's just, uh, it's just completely split right down the middle in terms of good things and bad things. And that's just the way that the pumpkin crumbles, I guess. Yeah. It's super weird. So I'm, I'm very curious because this movie had a budget of $10 million. It's pretty cheap. Um, and they probably are going to spend $20 million, I'm guessing, on marketing for the movie. So $30 million into this yeah, movie. It'll, yeah, no problem. It'll make its money back. Okay. There, well, there th- you I, go. Yeah. I think people will still flock to it out of curiosity anyway. I think they should just prepare themselves that it's uh, – but that's just generally how it is too after it's been so much time between things. You like build up and theor- make create theories of your own in your head and – and then it never quite matches. It will never live up to what you expect. And uh, the, the the fun of it right now, which you should be enjoying, is that you have like a month before this movie comes out or a little less than that you can still enjoy and theorize and just build up excitement for it. But it, it will not be go like in, that. Yeah, go in with low, very low expectations and you might be – it might be worth it, but yeah, they, yeah. they do leave it open for more sequels, but kind of like in a weird way, like I don't see where it's going, but it does leave it open. Yeah. We, I mean, when, once the movie comes out, I really think that you and I should do like a spoiler section because I'm just like, I just really want to say the last shot of the film that just kind of irritating. Um, I agree. Yes. So, uh, Yeah. So I'm just going to zip my mouth, but, um, <laughs> we'll I th- it, so yeah, it's, it's fine. I think it's, it'll be okay. I, I, th- I think that's a lot of common uh, or common, uh, thought on some of these films that we saw that were a little bigger. It's fine. Um, so yeah, check it out. Uh, I think it comes out October 19th. Yeah. Uh, nationwide. So we'll, be, we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll get there. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, that was uh, that's our Fantastic Fest special episode number twenty-two of my bloody podcast. Preston Barta, the man, the myth, the legend. Where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Preston Barta, uh, B-A-R-T-A, and uh, you can find I'm posting. I'm catching up on all of my uh, writing right now. I had a couple of things go up during the festival, but when you're watching movie to movie, it's just hard. Like you want to, especially these like movies that offer a lot of food for thought. Like you just need to sit on it for a little bit. And so that's why I was glad that I wrote about, uh, hold the dark today, which you can go on. Ditton record Chronicle, Ditton D D E N T O N R C.com to, uh, find my review of that later today on Thursday. Um, and then on freshfiction.tv, you can find uh, a lot of my interviews that I'll be posting right now. I got an interview up for The Perfection that I talked about earlier, and I should have my Overlord uh, video one up at some point pretty soon. Um, so I'll be cranking out some uh, interviews to post on freshfiction.tv and uh, reviews that James Cole Clay has written. And uh, you can find uh, my reviews for the site or for the festival on Ditton Record Chronicle. So there, there it is. 
Awesome. Um, and yeah, I'm Brian Kluger. You can find me on boomstickcomics.com, highdefdigest.com, and YouTube channel. Uh, just type in Brian Kluger. Uh, we got uh, some interviews up from the guys that did You Might Be the Killer, as well as an evening with Beverly Luff Lynn, which is a really funny, awkward interview because the director, Jim Hosking, will not let his producer writer talk. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, what else? Uh, yeah, a bunch of reviews, a bunch of, uh, podcast stuff. Um, and so yeah, check it out. Including this podcast, the multimedia men, my bloody podcast on iTunes and Stitcher radio, please go and subscribe. Click that subscribe button. Give us a rating of five stars, please. We love you for it, but we'll be back very soon with episode number 23. And we'll probably be back to our regular scheduled programming. Don't you say? Yeah, probably so. All right. Well, cool. Preston, it's a pleasure, and thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.